The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak. Go to our social media at the China Current and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow. Thank you. Dr. Parag Khanna is an economist who continues to shape our understanding of complex issues in a rapidly changing world through two books he has written: Connectography, Mapping the Future of Global Civilization, and The Future is Asian: Commerce, Conflict, and Culture in the 21st Century. I asked him to discuss the outbreak of novel coronavirus because one of the problems with health is that not enough people recognize its impact on every aspect of our lives. We discuss what this means for China, its capacity to manage this outbreak for the international community, and whether global connectivity in this context is more a burden than a blessing. I called Parag in Singapore, and this is what unfolded. Frank Hanna, thanks very much for joining us here on the China Current. Tens of thousands of people are infected with this new coronavirus that's gripped Asia and also spreading out beyond its borders. You wrote the book "The Future is Asian." Can the future be Asian at a time when it can't manage its own disease epidemics and pandemics fully? Well, the truth is that phenomena like this, whether it is the coronavirus or SARS before this,、um, or you know, obviously cyber、uh, attacks. You know, if you think about the hacks that have taken the data of、uh, hundreds of、uh, millions of citizens in the European Union, the United States, Equifax breach, and so forth, you're referring more to instances of how connectivity can be exploited, and that's a worldwide phenomenon. The question fundamentally is resilience. You know, we all face financial crises, pandemics, cyber attacks, and so forth. Obviously, natural disasters as well that are afflicting so many parts of the world. The question is, how quickly do you bounce back? And if Asia can demonstrate here that it, it will handle the coronavirus better than SARS, you know, if the number of cross-border infections can be kept to a minimum, if public health、uh, institutions can、uh, can can. You know, sort of、uh, manage and, and have the capacity to deal with the fallout. Then I don't think that this is somehow a, a dent on Asia. I mean, is there a broader lesson to be learned around the need to not concentrate all of our supply chains and industrial activity in one country, such as China? Obviously, and that's not a knock on China. That's just again a statement of the mathematical principle, almost that distributed supply chains, that that the distribution of resources. Is a more stable system than over concentration. So it's not that China is at fault or that one should penalize China, but it's a lesson in、uh, avoiding over concentration. What is the response so far? And of course, this is ongoing. But through all this coverage, but also through your own insights, how do you think China is coming across right now? And how accurate is that? Well, I mean, I think you know the the perception of China is、uh, obviously calibrated to the the sort of you know what knowledge we have or don't have about the way the situation is being handled. So, for example, if you believe that there's only thirty or forty thousand cases at the present moment of the virus. And that hospitals are doing a good job of treating people and so forth. Then you would say, "Oh, okay. Well, China has got it under control, despite the immense size of its population and the, how connected its people are, who have been taking trains in and out of Wuhan and elsewhere over the Chinese New Year holiday." You would say, "Oh, that's fairly remarkable." 
If you believe, however, that there's actually hundreds of thousands of infections and people are not going to hospitals because they don't have enough beds and they're being turned away um, and can't pay the bills and the government has no idea what it's doing and it's using fear as a tactic and so forth, then you would come away with a very negative perception of China. Um, obviously, one consensus view, though, I mean, I don't want to just play the kind of, uh, you know, two-handed or, you know, economist here. Um, you know, the, the truth is that we would all like to have more transparency. Right. You know, we would like to have more more honesty from the government and obviously acceptance of foreign help to the extent that it can be can be useful. And that's something where the perception of China has not been uh, you know, particularly positive the last couple of weeks. Your other book, Connectography, explores the inner muscles that link us together as a world. Is it this interconnectedness, though, that is aided or accelerated the rapid spread of this virus and with China as what we believe to be the source of this outbreak is it ready for an interconnected world well China is deeply deeply interconnected with the world and that that part of it is sort of uh, obviously evidenced by how quickly the virus has spread outside uh, of China and again you know how uh, the ripple effects and supply chains when you think about how um, Korean and other car manufacturers and even suppliers to uh, to Apple like like Foxconn have had to slow production and you know exports have been damaged and, and so forth so you see the ripple effects so China is deeply connected and you know the virus that situation doesn't illustrate that China is not ready for connectivity. It's just a further evidence that connectivity is a deep responsibility, right? And it's a responsibility that each of us has on both ends of the supply chains that, that, that link us. We have a responsibility to be open, uh, to provide redundancy, uh, to, to generate alternative ways and means of getting goods and services and people from point A to point B. It's all about, you know, as I explained in that book, it's flow and friction. You know, the fundamental laws of physics that are played here are flow versus friction. Flow is good. Flow is what allows, you know, people, uh, money, goods, uh, capital, uh, technology, ideas to flow across borders and to enrich us all. Friction is what you need to keep the bad stuff out. And it's all about balancing flow and friction. You don't want to starve yourself. You know, a country that is saying, um, you know, absolutely no Chinese people at all are allowed to enter my borders is obviously hurting itself because it's losing a lot of investment and tourism revenue. It should really have a better way of in, in, imposing certain frictions to prevent people uh, who may potentially be infected, but not block everyone. And so that's an example of how you would you know, take a smarter approach to balancing flow and friction. The reality, the sad reality is that Asia and the world is made up of health systems of varying strengths. China had said at the start of it that the Belt and Road could help even out that playing field and help even out the playing field of health opportunities. When we look back at it now and we look at what Belt and Road is still to become, do you think that was too ambitious a call? It was a too ambitious. No, I mean, I think that again, Belt and Road is not a first time thing in the sense that the idea and the necessity of cross border infrastructure finance in Asia and across Eurasia has been something that has been developing since actually the end of the Cold War, since the collapse of the Soviet Union. That process has been underway, and it's been underway with investments from Japan, with investments from European countries, and China. Now, Belt and Road has come up just in the last five years of that 30-year process, 
And it's obviously a very substantial amount of capital and it accelerates that, that uh, connectivity that's been underway. What it's also done though, is to unleash what I call the infrastructure arms race, right? And the infrastructure arms race says, now that China has come in so big and heavy with Belt and Road, uh, other countries and powers are responding. So you see the United States saying that it's going to launch uh, International Finance and Development Corporation. Japan and India have launched something called Connectivity Corridors. Um, so everyone has launched their own version of Belt and Road. Even the EU has one called the, called the Asia Connectivity Initiative. All None of these existed prior to Belt and Road. Therefore, you can safely say that Belt and Road caused those things to come into being and to unleash this infrastructure arms race. So what does that do? Well, it means that there's actually going to be more money on the table to finance infrastructure and to compete with China and to potentially offer more competitive lending rates and so forth. And in doing so, it's actually going to accelerate what Belt and Road is contributing to, even if Belt and Road becomes diluted as a dominant force. So in the end, it's infrastructure and infrastructure finance and cross-border connectivity that win, even if China's initiative doesn't wind up being the dominant player in that mix. Here's my last question. You are an economist who uses data to help break down complex ideas for everybody to understand. When we look at this outbreak that some people say could spiral even further, and when we look ahead, how best do you think we can prepare ourselves for that next global health emergency that will surely come? It's a great question. Let's remember that they do happen quite regularly. You know, SARS, Ebola, Zika, now coronavirus. This is not abnormal. Same thing with cyber, um, you know, sort of um, uh, viruses and attacks and so forth. What happens in all of these cases is actually, you know, quarantining, isolation, public information campaigns, you know, restricting access, moving um, you know, to new data servers in the case of cyber uh, attacks and, um, you know, developing new remedies, having more cooperation among public health authorities. It's a part of a much broader process of learning, learning how to cooperate in a network fashion, learning to share information very rapidly, surging the resources that are needed to, to treat victims uh, to the source of the problem as quickly as possible. If we were not, James, getting better and better and better at this, we would literally all be dead right now. Brad Corner, I don't know if I take that, but I take it on a positive note. Thanks very much for sharing your insights here. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you.